You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 13. Today we kick off with a look at Black Friday sales, which set the stage for the key retail season coming up. We looked at a few winners and losers from this segment, including Canadian-based Spin Master, symbol T-O-Y on the TSX, and we tease a recent recommendation of ours, a U.S.-based electronics toy maker, which has already gained 40% this month. As well, we give a brief take on how recent pipeline approvals by the Canadian government might affect markets going forward, and our star of the week is oil. Finally, we end with our Your Stock, Our Take segment, where we review a listener question on hot pot stock Afria Inc., APH on the TSX Venture. Now, if this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. We encourage you to come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook. Now let's dig into the show. I would again like to welcome my co-host, Keystone's senior equity analyst and a father of one, and a man who could not be more excited about the release of Netflix Gilmore Girls Revival, Mr. Aaron Dunn. Hello, Ryan. Nice to be here with you today. Nice to be here for sure. Uh, we're going to get into first the Black Friday or Cyber Monday sales, which really key and kick off the U.S. retail uh, retail selling season. Statistics from Adobe revealed that uh, this Black Friday shopping frenzy uh, in terms of online sales were a record with $3.34 billion U.S. being spent. That's a 17.7% increase on the sales of last year. Uh, it found that re- retailers who invested in mobile, email, and social saw a 30% increase in sales on average, greater than those who concentrated on just one of the channels. Now, the winners here, big, big U.S.-based online retailers, Amazon, Target, and Walmart, all public companies, all saw double-digit increases in online sales. But the major overall winner here was mobile sales. Uh, $1.2 million were banked on Black Friday U.S., and it became the first day ever to drive over a billion in mobile revenues, according to Adobe Digital Insights. That's 33% growth year-over-year in mobile sales. Now, the loser here was physical stores, which is the likely scenario. More consumers are shopping online, which means fewer are going to stores. Malls were certainly not deserted, but the numbers were clearly down. Uh, Cowan & Co., which tracks these statistics, forecasts uh, in a note the, this morning that Black Friday stores would likely fall and, and come in around 3 to 4% lower in-store than on Black Friday this past year. In terms of a company that's publicly traded that was a loser in the market, likely on this Black Friday, is Macy's, New York-listed stock under the symbol M. It's been struggling to find its footing in the current digitally-driven economy and has been investing heavily in its online operations. Those efforts are probably fine on a normal day, but on Black Friday, the worst thing that could happen happened to Macy's.com. The website crashed in the morning. It went down, and by midday, it was still uh, experiencing outages, according to posts on social media. Despite all their efforts put into that store, 
this is a, a big miss for Macy's and likely just adds to the pain that company has felt in a digitally driven economy going forward. Now we're going to look at some hot toys. Now, the top selling toys this year, Lego is still one of the biggest selling toys. Uh, it was followed closely by uh, the Razor electric scooter, Nerf guns, DJI phantom drones. Drones were a big seller this year and the Barbie Dreamhouse. Barbie is still, still kicking it and selling well. Um, now, I think Aaron, you had a toy you wanted to look at as well. Yeah, exactly. Have you heard of a toy called the, the Hatchimal? I have heard of that group of toys, yes. Yeah, so, so basically what it is, it's a, it's a toy bird that comes in an egg, and it, it hatches after it's been cared for in some way. I don't, I don't know how. But anyways, the toy's gone completely viral this year, and it's, it's basically impossible to buy. But what's interesting is that it's, it's produced by a, a company called Spinmaster that's a Canadian publicly traded company uh, up here in Canada. So the Hatchimals actually, before they sold out, they, they, they held the first place, the second place, the sixth, and the ninth place spots for top toys sold in the U.S. So different types of Hatchimals. Um, but now, essentially, they're, they're completely impossible to, to buy. So I don't know what they're doing over there at Spin Master, but they're doing something right. The, the stock's up about 60% this year. Um, pretty expensive valuation, about 30, 35 times earnings, but definitely a good growth stock. Um, but a $2.7 billion market cap right now. Yeah, it's de definitely one of the huge success stories. I mean, there was uh, commentators in the retail space were talking about uh, that toy, the Hatchimals toys, that group being just as successful as the Cabbage Patch dolls of, you know, 1980-83 fame and Tickle Me Elmo from 1996. So really You still high. have your Tickle Me Elmo, don't you? I, I, I'm still looking for it, but I know I have one in the house and I really want to find it. And I got to get me a Hatchable. Apparently, you can get them on eBay for around $250 to $300. So um, that may appear in your stocking this year around the office, Aaron. You may be getting it. Excellent. We really want to see you grow that, that Hatchable and hatch it and see how you nurture that over time. But, I mean, it is a tremendous success story from, from, uh, from Spin Master, whose symbol is uh, appropriately toy, T-O-Y, on the TSX Venture. 60% up this year, 35 times earnings in that range. A little bit pricey for us right now. but And we do look long-term on these companies. And, and sometimes you can see a, a hot toy pushing a stock up near-term. Uh, they they're only as good as their next toy. So we'll see if they can you know, expand on the Hatchables product next year. Uh, they do have a good lineup of toys in other areas too as well. But we do. We did actually uh, pick a consumer electronics company. We picked it up in coverage for our clients just uh, over a month ago in our U.S. small cap research, and it's a consumer electronics company who aims its products at eight to fifteen-year-olds. So right in that wheelhouse, they gave they they came up with big promotional orders through Walmart and Amazon that helped power record third-quarter results, which were just released last week. That drove the stock up forty percent. So this was our way this year to profit from uh, the holiday sales binge that we see. I think it's the best way for me to save money around the holidays is to make money from a holiday sales driven stock. And our selection in that area has already done that and helped pay the holiday bills this year. So I'm very happy about that. Now let's shift gears a bit from our Black Friday to Black Gold where there was big news in Canadian energy sector this past week. There's some pipeline approvals finally. 
Prime Minister Trudeau late Tuesday last week approved the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline and Enbridge's Line 3 to the U.S. Midwest. Both projects still will face stiff resistance from environmentalists and some First Nations group, but the decision should give large oil sands companies some confidence to contemplate growth after more than two years of contraction and essentially project shelving. Specifically in that regard, Synovus uh, Energy, which they may look now to revive their Phase G expansion at their flagship Christina Lake project. In this, on the same note, Imperial Oil uh, is likely to proceed with its steam-driven Aspen development. This means long-term more work and, and, and huge dollars again will start flowing in to some of the service stocks that service this sector. So we will be looking there. Uh, as far as pipelines specifically, Kinder Morgan said it aims to start construction on the $6.8 billion expansion by September with the startup pegged for late 2019. The project is supported by 13 major oil sands companies and it would boost capacity on the Edmonton to Burnaby BC network from 300,000 bar barrels a day up to just under 900,000 barrels. Now, Enbridge, for its part, has said that the $7.5 billion Line 3 could start up in 2019 as well, restoring capacity on the system to 790,000 barrels per day, up from 390,000 barrels that we see existing today. So yep. some big news this is, there. This is, I was just going to say this is obviously a big deal for the Canadian energy sector because one of the one of the problems, the main problem, is that we have virtually no access to international markets to sell our oil except to the United States. So Trans Mountain is is going to open up some of that access to Asia, and that's going to be in much higher prices for some Canadian oil producers. Um, also, one of one of Trump's first proposed actions is to approve the Keystone XL pipeline, which is another major line that would connect Canada to the U.S. So with the two of these together, that, that could be a major game changer. Yeah, it looks to be an interesting time in the sector that has really, we really have not, uh, you know, we have not been looking at directly. And we've, we've had two companies really that we've covered, uh, one energy service stock and one producer over the past 18 months to two years. And uh, other than that, we were treading very lightly in this segment. So you know, with the price of oil increasing, uh, we, we may look to, to look back in that segment, but it may be a little bit early right now to see uh, an increase in cash flow. That news ties into our Star of the Week. From our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's Star. Uh, and our Star this week is oil. Now, OPEC confounded its doubters and sent crude oil prices soaring by agreeing to its first production cuts in over eight years. Apparently the agreement is for uh, is the product of seven months of meetings. The deal designed to drain record global oil inventories overcame disagreements between the group's three largest producers that would be Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Iraq and ended a flirtation with what some people were calling free markets in the oil market, which started in 2014. It was also broader than many had expected, extending beyond OPEC. Most strikingly, Russia agreed to an unprecedented cuts of its own. Now, the impact on the energy world was immediate. The benchmark oil prices gained as much as 10% in New York immediately, and now are up around 15% uh, in the wake of the news. 
Share prices of energy companies around the globe and those that service the sector jumped alongside of the currencies of the large exporters. Whether that's sustainable or sustained will depend on how strictly members of the OPEC essentially stick to the agreement, something they have not always done in the past. Now, the news does not does appear to be a wake-up call for skeptics who have argued that OPEC is dead, essentially. It does appear that many in OPEC will want to push inventories lower, and they're making a concerted effort in this regard. The questions, though, are always there on implementation. Like we said, not all parties historically follow their stated cut to the letter or even at all. In some cases in the past, they promised to cut and actually increase. So, you know, if they're serious about cutting, you know, they'll have to cut this time to bring inventories down. Russia here for us is a total wild card, as they are on many economic issues. Will they actually cut? The proof will be likely we'll see six to months to a year out, and we'll see if Russia has followed through. Again, like I said, Keystone has very little direct exposure to energy over the past several years. That one energy service stock that we have covered has been actually the best performing energy service stock on the TSX over the past couple of years. And the one TSX ener listed energy stock is actually an international producer that we follow, uh, has bucked the trend, also producing decent gains over the past two years where almost every North American energy stock has cratered. The uptick in oil, and the the passing of those pipeline, the approval of the pipelines is certainly two positives for the oil sector in, in Canada and the Western Canadian sedimentary basin. It doesn't make us jump in, but it does make the price gains for uh, oil this week makes uh, them our star over this past week. Yeah, and one thing that, that investors also have to remember about when when oil when the price moves up like this in the short term is that right now it's very much a supply driven market um when oil traded in the high 90s and the low hundreds it was because there there is it was demand driven market demand was pushing the price up but now it's all about controlling supply so as we see the price of oil move up um that's just going to bring more supply online unless unless increased global demand can kick in to to, to take over yeah, we would rather, for a sustainable rally in any type of commodity or anything like that, we'd rather see it be demand-driven than, than a cut in supply bringing the price up. It's just more sustainable that way. Finally, this week we're going to look at uh, our Your Stock, Our Take segment. And Aaron's got, uh, got a question from a listener that was sent in on a high-flying pot stock. It's Afria. Aaron, I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah, well, this this company also sells oil as well, I believe. Only it's uh, it's it's cannabis oil. So, Afria is the name of the company. The symbol is APH. It trades for about five dollars and forty cents right now. So it's it's a licensed marijuana producer and distributor based out of Ontario. They just put out their first quarter results for fiscal twenty seventeen. Revenues were four point four million, uh, quadrupling over the past year and up about sixty percent um, compared to just last quarter. Uh, EBITDA earnings before interest taxes and depreciation amortization in the quarter was just over a million, which was up from a loss of 370,000 in the last quarter. Uh, the company did manage to squeak out a modest profit of around uh, 400,000 for the first quarter. That's right down to the bottom line. So that was the first first clear quarter profitability. I actually came across the company in one of my screens about a year ago, and I, I did like it relative to a lot of other companies. Well, basically every other company in in the marijuana industry. They seem to be the furthest along with respect to to achieving profitabilities, and I understood 
the plan. I respected the plan that they had. And I also liked the fact that um, their CEO, Vic Neufeld, had a very successful background as former CEO of Jameson Laboratories when he saw the company's growth from $20 million to over $250 million in revenues. But at the time, they still weren't quite profitable, so they didn't meet our minimum criteria, and, and, and they weren't investable for us at that point in time. Now the company is starting to break through into profitability, but unfortunately for people who don't own it, the stock is up 350% over the past 12 months. That entire, if you're following it at all, that entire marijuana industry has just gone crazy. Um, so, but the situation right now is at $5 and 40 cents a share is even if they were able to put half decent earnings together over the next year, the valuation is going to be quite high and that, that becomes a consideration for us. So, uh, you know, I, I do like the company. I do like the potential. It's something that we want to watch on, unlike some, most of the other companies in that industry, Afria is, is is a real business, and I think that they do have a future and that they will be fully profitable one day. Right now, though, there are just too many unknowns to make an informed decision about investing in any of these marijuana stocks. The regulatory framework hasn't been fully fleshed out yet, and we don't know what the competitive landscape is going to look like. You know, One concern that we have that I know that other people have discussed as well is that once legalization is complete, there could be a, a, a lot of very aggressive price competition, which would hinder the the industry's ability to be meaningfully profitable. Um, so we just we really have to see that 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 play out and see see what the framework is going to look like and what the competitive landscape is going to look like. But we have one thing that's important to understand is in, in these hot industries, and we've seen this play out many many times before in the past. There's a certain theme that the market really loves all of a sudden, and it aggressively pushes um, the share price up share prices of these companies up due just purely to, to speculation. And that makes whatever theme it is, whether it's technology, internet, biotech, it makes it for a time un- uninvestable. But once reality kicks in, stock prices across the board usually come tumbling down. And then the few strong, profitable companies with, with really good growth opportunities in those industries are available to be purchased um, at, at a really nice discount. And those are the companies which eventually are going to be the ones to recover and 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 their and and realize their growth opportunities so just uh, on that note share prices for marijuana stocks they did fall about 30 percent in one day a few weeks ago so since then the, the prices have stabilized a bit moved up a little bit but when the market it just goes to show that when the market decides to bail on these speculative style stocks it can be really swift and, and really furious yeah and, and i mean there is definite potential there and we saw when one of the leaders in that sector, Canopy Growth, and we commented on this last week when it got up to you know, $14, $16 in that range, um, the company then, you know, the valuation for the sector overall by those who, who have looked at this sector and valued uh, where it could be, you know, four years out, 2020 in that range, are looking at a value of six to seven billion in, in terms of total value for the sector. Well, you know, the market cap for that one company was approaching two billion. So, you know, a third of the entire industry in one company that is yet to be profitable. So, you know, it's a disconnect when it's trading at 70, 50, 70 times sales. Uh, you know, when you're looking at a company that still isn't producing a cash flow to the bottom line, we will likely have a time where there'll be uh, a time to buy a company like this. Um, right now, it's just far too speculative for us. We can't dig into the cash flow on the bottom line. But 
as far as a pick of the litter from this group, um, in terms of, you know, you're looking at backing a management team. I mean, they do have a track record here. So it is one that we definitely have on our monitor list. All right, Aaron, I'm going to thank you for hosting with me again this week. Thank you. And, uh, Again, I wish all our listeners profitable investing. Profitable investing.